<laughs> it's nice to be back to normal, right? Yeah, it's, it's true, man. It fucking recalibrates your perspective. <laughs> Everything's cool when you come to Windsor. Yeah. Everything's cool. I get I'm literally fascinated by everything everywhere I go. Like, go pull off the side of the road and take a picture of something, and my girl will be like, why what are you taking a picture of it's, that's fucking amazing there's a hill like we have suicide hill it's just like a, a trash heap covered in grass like, there's a hill here you guys are so lucky to have a hill we got malden park which used to be a dump but now it's yeah. got dirt on it and every and suicide like, hill is the same thing in east end riverside there's like a little bit of oh when you drive under the bridge on drew Lard. yeah it's like the roller coaster of winter literally like this as i drive on one spot <laughs> underneath the bridge this is amazing it's a change in elevation you see how nice it is down Drillard now? Fort City's coming alive. Actually. They're like putting some uh, money into it. and I remember driving home from the bars one night. For whatever reason, I had to take Drillard. I was like driving Buddy home. And there was a guy, uh, a stop sign, a stop sign, a red light, with a chainsaw. No shirt. <laughs> the chainsaw was on. Of course. And, and, but like, we weren't alarmed. Like me and my buddy Shane, like we weren't alarmed. Like we, it didn't really concern us. We were just like, oh, he's not looking for us. And he kind of like looked through the front windshield and like realized that whoever he was looking for wasn't in the Chrysler Sebring. And he kind of like revved the chainsaw as to say like, good day. And then he carried <laughs> on the it, it wasn't a drive away rev. It was like, what's up? Yeah, it was like, right? It was just like, oh, Danny brought my boys downtown uh, and, and my little guy's like, why is that man on the street? And she's trying to explain it to him. And she's like, why is he playing a guitar <laughs> on the side of the road? They were like amazed. And they, they couldn't wait to come home and tell me about this man playing a guitar on the side of the road. Why do they call it guitars beyond me too? Tango 1 at the top. We are at Palm Oak. 10-4, Tango 1. You have control. Tango 1, copy. Stand by. Stand by. Integrity, passion, resilience. That's what this place was built on. That's what our community is founded on. Don't act like the example, just be the example. This is the home of the greatest fitness community in the world. We're trying to create strong, able bodies, resilient to injury with a gas tank to get shit done. If there's one thing from this podcast, it's about taking media action. Find the problem, fix the problem. This is your opportunity. It's either a hell yes or a fuck no. It's that simple. <laughs> now is the time to take action. Now's the time to do more and be more. <laughs> All right, let's roll. Welcome to the Tango One Podcast. Tony Smith, retired cop, tag team leader, and currently the founder of the Garage Gym Tango One Solutions. Joined by my friend, fireman, amateur stuntman, Casey Wright. Our mission is to challenge you and guide you to create an immediate action plan against your problems and weaknesses. We want you to do more and be more. Uh, today on our show, we got the 519 original Jordan Jello, Dr. Jordan Jello. He's a chiropractor and a competitive power lifter who champ- champions getting movement right from the outset. Jordan's patients and clients range from world-class athletes to nine-to-five weekend warriors. He's the founder of Prescript, preaching mobility, stability, and strength, which he actually brought to our garage gym team. And he's the host of RX Radio Podcast, which is wildly popular in the strength community and with our, our friend Corey Voltaggio, the biggest fan of Jordan's. He's also a coach at Elite FTS. Uh, he's an HD muscle-sponsored athlete. And, of course, he's born and raised in Windsor, uh, has that true blue-collar attitude, which is shows why he is here today on our show, which makes us pumped to have him. So thanks for coming on, man. Thanks. That was that was wow. That was more. That was more credit than I think is worth. That was incredible. Well, dude, I had I asked you for like some feedback, and I got like one line of everything, so I had to go and research you myself. I had to go old school. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm blown away. Had some friends do a background check on you. Pull up a. 
some super good. I think I'm clean, man. I, yeah, <laughs> we got I, nothing. I your we got nothing. I wanted to like. I was hoping I was be able to throw some kind of funny oh, story, but I really got nothing off of you. I kept my nose clean, man. I was, <laughs> I was the guy who was like, "All right, get my mom's minivan. We're getting the fuck out of here before the cops show up." I was, I was the elder statesman. Let's get the fuck out of here. I can't hear them coming. We gotta go. Right. We gotta go. Yeah, man. On that note, I really would like to toggle that today. How you went from Windsor right to like pretty much a nomad. I want to get into that prescript stuff, and then I uh, really like impressed with the, like how mission driven and passion driven you are which has led to your success in my opinion and uh you know the warrior in the garden theme that we've talked about you and i a handful of times so let's roll with it so man you grew up in the windsor area riverside area and then all of a sudden you're in silicon valley like right you know like let's get that how did, how did this even happen yeah um oh yeah i went to riverside high school Heather, ms hetherington like grew up on the east end parents are still there and uh my sister got out i think that was probably one of the biggest things that i look back like my sister went to uh she was a swimmer so she did her undergraduate in north carolina and, like i just never i just never assumed like I, no one i ever knew left right and that's a weird part even now looking back like most of my friends stuck it out i'm the only one that that, that got out um so that kind of like immediately opened my opened my eyes like oh like i don't have to like, I don't have to work at Chrysler's, that's weird. Like, I was just gonna go down Patilla Road and make fucking seatbelts the rest of my life. Like, you know, make 110K, get my grade 10, like Ricky from the Trailer Park Boys, and like, that would have been the life. You know, maybe get like a jet ski and, you know, go like hunting in the, in the, in the winter or something like that, and that was the Windsor life. But uh, I was playing sport growing up, and I actually got injured um, fairly frequently. It was a goalie who played junior out in Kingsville, actually, and uh, I got introduced to a chiropractor, uh, Steve Radovich. Oh, just up with nice. Yeah, and was I was a personal trainer at the time at Good Life in the Cumsey, and I really liked training for hockey. And um, as I got hurt, and I went some actually my it was my grade ten, grade eleven high school uh, gym teacher, Kavanaugh, Scott Kavanaugh, I think that's the name. He's like, oh, you need to go see this chiropractor for your injury. I'm like, oh, dude, no, it's not my neck, it's my knee. He goes, no, no, it's fine. Like, it's he does that stuff too. It's like weird. Like, I don't know what this chiropractor stuff is. And I went, and I got back on the ice, and I started to weigh out my options as far as like school goes. I'm like, all right, like I want to kind of do this. Like, I was a personal trainer at the time, and uh, you know, it was kind of similar business model, time for money. But like, he drove a range. I, was like, I fucking love ranges. Like, that's dope. Like, I have my mom's focus. This, this is like, if he's a Cairo and like I'm a trainer and I just got to go to some more school, I'll do that. Um, so, went to the University of Windsor, actually started studying history and political science, and then switched majors to kinesiology, moved up to Toronto, and then kind of had the option of Cairo school after that, which was either stay in Toronto or go to one of the, the 17 schools in the States at the time. Started shopping around. There was one out west that was kind of recommended to me and it just kind of packed up and went. That was 2011, 2012, I packed a bag and moved to like just south of San Francisco and ever since then it's just kind of been like saying yes to as much shit as I can and that's kind of led me back here, shit, like now I'm nine, almost 10 years later. That's fucking wild, man. And yeah, right. I had wild nights. I sat courtside for the Pistons, uh, Pistons against Shaq with that guy and a bunch of other doctors. So yeah, they, they were living the life because those tickets were the best things I have ever seen. Kid Rock was like one seat over and in front of us. It was insane. Yeah. But yeah, I could see where that would inspire you to, to get on there. And then all of a sudden, like you took your, your Kyle background and then like formed it into this whole other realm, which is like, you don't really practice Cairo anymore, correct? Yeah, very, like I have a few clients that I like work with on like a concierge basis. So we'll fly in a couple times a year and we'll work with them one-on-one for a few weeks. 
Um, and a lot of the work is like just in the gym, fixing like mechanics of lifting, talking about programming, kind of habit stuff. Very little, like, I don't want to say very little, but the, it's the manual therapy is only like one arm of kind of like the treatment style now. So it's not the conventional, like I did that getting out of school. I, I definitely went more the conventional route, but just, I just got bored, man. So I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I kind of made something that was sustainable. I can't see you like in a shirt and tie, like oh, dude. people coming in. Man, I was corporate, bro. I was as corporate as it got. I worked at Apple. So my first job out of school was at Apple, like your cell phone, your computer, like Apple World Headquarters in Cupertino, California. I was the corporate chiropractor at Apple. And how many complaints did you, like, did you swear there? Like, were uh, <laughs> was human resources, like, part of your daily, uh, like... Yeah, I got a few complaints. Like, I was just, <laughs> it's hard, but it taught you a lot, right? Yeah. Probably in, a, like, a similar fashion, obviously less hostile, but, like, what we do is I'd work with an assistant, and the assistant would do the soft tissue work in the intake, and I would just come in and do, like, chiro things, and crack some shit, and use some big words, and fuck off to the next room. Um, but you, know, you realize that every fi- I've seen patients every 15 minutes. I saw 250 patients a week. That's 250 different personalities, religions, genders, political affiliations, like social economic status. So it, it kind of taught me a lot. But dude, when I when I realized that the job at Apple could be on the table, like I used to be bald fade number one on the top. Really? Like, oh yeah, dude. I kept it real high and tight. And so like I was just I was just a fucking skinhead. But I kind of saw the writing on the wall that this might be an opportunity like six months out. Like I knew the girl who had the job now and had a good relationship with her. Um, but she was telling me that she was applying for a PhD program. Uh, and when she, if she got it, she would just have to jet and go and kind of leave them high and dry. But she couldn't hedge her bets because if they said like, oh, I'm applying, they would just get rid of her. So I was like, okay. And I, I know what the Apple corporate culture was like. I was in the Silicon Valley for enough time, so I started growing my hair out. I was like, why are you growing your hair out? Like, what's going on? Just laid back. I started wearing my glasses more, like, you know, covered up some of the tat, like would wear long sleeves and stuff and like tried to like align myself strategically. And sure enough, she got the PhD program and like I was the first call. Hey, do you want the job? And like, I just fit the bill. I had a little Apple badge and had my little fucking poindexter glasses on my corduroys my collared shirt my dumb fucking hair and it was just like oh yeah let's do it but yeah it was uh it was definitely like a strategic kind of plan because there's no way they were letting like you know some jackass kid with retro nine jordans and like basketball shorts in the door at apple like no chance but yeah i've done like the corporate pent up thing and i just can't do it anymore and there'd be a lot of issues with that like everyone's sitting at their computer all day or just oh, yeah. so many issues through your back. It was never ending. We were the busiest discipline in corporate wellness, period. It was the biggest corporate wellness program in the entire world. Like that campus alone before they built infinite or before they built the spaceship, which was just infinite loop, the city of Cupertino had thirteen thousand employees for Apple. Wow. Yeah. So it was never ending. It was a revolving door. We were never we were never not full. We'd open up our schedule in three month blocks and it would just be full like that overnight. Well, I just read a book about like the Silicon Valley, nothing to do with what you're talking about. I guess it does because that's like Apple and everything. But just insane the like the, what's going on in that that city, like for that area. I guess is like that the pitching of jobs and the businesses that are going there to try to get somebody to buy them, invest in them. I had no idea that world exists. I just read some book, The Monk and the I don't know what it was, but it was it was okay book. But the the story behind it was just wild. Like I had no idea that world kind of existed. Again, coming from Windsor, Ontario, where we're not. Thinking that way, right? My friend made seventeen million dollars last night. Last night? Last night. His company that he has <laughs> shares in went IPO. And I'm not wow. gonna name names, I'm not gonna name the company. But this kid 
two years younger than me, just made seventeen million dollars. Oh, Vegas, baby, well, go! That's what it is man. He hit double zeros, and that's that's a gamble, right? That's the VC culture, the venture capitalist angel investing game, right? It's like you you hedge your bets, and if it hits, you're set for life. You come up with fucking Angry Birds. And your grandkids are gonna eat. It's like, crazy. Yeah. There's so much money in just retention of people now, and that's all it is: is gathering people's attention for a longer amount of time, and then building ads on it. And it just—that's all it is. Yeah. It's craziness. Man, so in your uh, bio, you were talking about being homeless at 27. Yeah. So you've become a nomad. What's what's yeah. this all about? Well, my mom was real proud of that. <laughs> yeah. So at like 25, I mean 25, I graduated, uh, I graduated grad school and like had this fancy doc's title, it was a good job and was married and had uh, like the white picket fence and like the, the dog and the house on the hill and all was good, but I was fucking miserable, like self-inflicted and then I was just like, you know what, fuck it. No. And so like, I ended up getting divorced, this is like an ad for getting divorced or anything, but like, I ended up getting divorced. <laughs> And because at the time, I, I, as I transitioned my business, like I went from working corporate to working, um, I opened my own office. So it was kind of like um, more in like the public sector because Apple was very much exclusive to their staff. Uh, so I opened two offices and I went from seeing 250 patients a week to 20 patients a week. And so from like six figure salary to like, I hope I have enough money to eat. And then started the powerlifting thing and traveling for powerlifting and kind of took to that. And then with the background, it sort of blended into like, oh, hey, like we can't pay you because it's obviously it's powerlifting. We just hand out stupid fucking trophies. But like if you did like a seminar, you could help offset some of the costs. I'm like, okay, I guess. Like I talk to patients all the time. I'll just pretend like I'm talking to a room full of 40 or 50 patients. Um, and then that started to get to the point where people didn't care about me lifting anymore. <laughs> They're just like, hey, can you come and talk and so on and so forth. So I started putting together seminars that I would teach, like just just to powerlifters in like little dusty old powerlifting gyms. And probably, yeah, two and a half years ago, I would say three weeks of every month I was traveling. And obviously that doesn't do wonders for, you know, a relationship that you're in. <laughs> uh, so it came to the point where it's just like, I would travel for three weeks, basically anywhere that would say, hey, you want to come? Like, do you want to put a roof over my head? Then yeah, I'll mm -hmm. fucking be there. I was doing it for nothing, like literally nothing. Sometimes I lost money just because it was something I wanted to do. Uh, and then I would come back and I, I didn't have a place to, to stay, so I would sleep in my car, sleep in my office, um, and then I would just kind of wait for the next call or direct message or whatever to be like, hey, do you want to come to fucking, you know, Hoboken, New Jersey, this in the afternoon, whatever, I don't know what the fuck, I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, and I was kind of going back and forth, I was paying real rent in my offices, and like, I remember having, like, reaching a point where I could drive to the grocery store, but I'd have to fill up my gas tank and that would cost money that I couldn't spend on food, but I would expend less calories because I didn't have to walk. Or I could walk to the grocery store, have to take two trips, have more money because I don't have to put 50 bucks into my fucking forerunner. And I was like, wait a minute, how many years did I go to school? Like, what is going on? Like, this is, there's no problem with this. And then it was like, all right, I got to kind of pull myself out of this. So I went from being traveling like three, two to three weeks out of the month and then flying back into California and sleeping in my car. Um, to like, I bet you I could just fill that last week and not have to pay rent. So immediately right there, like saving a couple grand a month just in paying rent in my office. So like, all right, let's give it a go. So like, one of like the craziest things I said yes to was actually like when I committed to like go on the road. And I was working with a rugby player in Lebanon at the time. Um, he was like on their national rugby team. And he, he got into powerlifting as part of his training and like that was kind of what drew him to me because I was a strength and conditioning coach at Stanford University for the rugby team as well 
um, and also obviously a powerlifter. And so I started working with him remotely, and we were like, I do his programming, and we would talk technique and get on these calls. He was like, Did you want to? Would you want to come to Lebanon? And it's like, yeah, fuck it. I don't, you sure? I, yeah, let's do it. So my first like, the my first last trip I ever took, or my last first trip I ever took was to Beirut. So it was like, uh, I like had a gig in New York. And then my next gig was in Lebanon. So I had like a seven day stint in Beirut. And then that was two and a half years ago. And I haven't stopped since. I've just been traveling around since then. So that's like kind of when the muscle doc was born. You're like going from like, you know, powerlifting meets to like helping powerlifters get stronger through like the stability, mobility stuff. And then it just exploded. Because I, I feel like it was like Kieran, you know, our common friend that kind of introduced us. He's like, hey, my buddy Jordan, and he's on the... He's like, you know, he's heard of him. And I'm like, you know, I started following you. And then all of a sudden it was like, now you're on like this podcast and this. And then it was like, boom, you're everywhere. Like, did that, if, for me, it looked like it happened overnight. But how did that feel like <laughs> on that end? It was just like, it seemed like it was a fast process. Uh, yeah, kind of. Like, there's just a lot of like little things that went right. Like, I could probably point out maybe 10, 10 or less things that were just like huge catalysts. Like, the Apple thing was huge. That gave me leverage in the Silicon Valley because everyone knew what Apple was. Apple, le- I was able to leverage into Stanford, right? And then Stanford, I was able to leverage into pretty much everything, right? People think Stanford and they're like linear accelerator. It's like, I think Stanford, <laughs> I think 17-year-old kids that don't know how to squat. Like, that's why I was probably like fucking nose in a weight room, man. I wasn't like splitting atoms or shit like that. Um, but yeah, it was just about like leverage and I, I worked early on with a powerlifter named Dan Green who's like pretty prominent in like yeah. the powerlifting world um, and that kind of gave me leverage in that community. It was like, oh, like the best powerlifter in the world, this is his Cairo, you know, he can squat and bench whatever I could squat and bench at the time. So that kind of gave me a bit of leverage and then uh, the podcast thing was definitely a huge catalyst for me. Like my friends, uh, so I used to train with a guy named Craig Caperso who was like, Early days, bodybuilding.com. He's got this fucking dumb Fabio hair. Cut your hair, Craig. Um, and we just trained. Like, he was kind of like a bigger deal. The gym we trained at and all the Cairo students over in school were like, oh, man, like, that's a guy from bodybuilding.com. So I just went up to him the first day and, like, like cell blocked these shit. I was like, that was your last set, right? You're done with this bench? Okay. Let, me, let me hop in real right. quick. Right. And we've just been, like, we were friends ever since. And he introduced me to the Mind Pump guys. And then I started doing, like, video content for them and started like kind of the Instagram. So the, the muscle lock Instagram account started in my ninth quarter of school. So that's 2014. So that's been six years and it was just like leverage, 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 every relationship, every connection, every experience was just one thing after the next. So there's definitely like a fair bit of strategy to it of like, kind of like, like you said, right? Like don't look down, like don't look down the sites or taking this big picture of like, you know, if I go here, who's in the city, who can I connect with, who on what medium, like who does, who's on YouTube, who's on Instagram, who wear the podcast. Uh, you know, if I have someone on, on from this podcast and it, like, it sounds malicious when you sit back and hear me just like try and connect all these chess pieces together. But, you know, if we came across someone that was like a piece of shit, I wouldn't work with them. Um, but you start getting more and more in circles and it's just like, you know, everyone tries to help each other out. So once my hand kind of got stamped, it was just like, all right, how can I, how can I leverage like the next like potential to build a relationship? And if I was able to build a good relationship with someone, then that spiraled out into like, oh, hey, like, oh, I got a podcast or, oh, hey, like I do this YouTube thing or like whatever. So that was kind of like, yeah, it, it, 
it, in some ways it seems fast and in some ways it seems super slow. Because like I'm, I think I'm like you in a lot of ways where like you operate with a certain sense of urgency that some people might not. So it's like it feels slow to me sometimes because I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah, I get um, that feeling. Yeah, but I get that. It's it's weird to look back and like kind of see because nothing's as ever as good as you think it's going to be, and nothing's ever as bad as you think it's going to be. That's right? a great There's way to look at it, right? Stuff where you're like, yo, I'm on this, but like this is it. Like I remember my business partner and I, we did Barbell Shrug, which was like the CrossFit podcast, like the fitness podcast. Like we didn't have much money and they were in SoCal, so we rented an Airbnb. But the Airbnb was uh, like a Breaking Bad camper RV. So I was sleeping in the fucking crow's nest over the driver's seat in, like, in the parking lot of some like meth head's driveway. Or in the, some meth head's driveway. I was like, fuck, what's going on here? This sucked. Now it's a good story, but like, but like man, Barbell Shark is going to save us. Like, we're going to get so much exposure. And it's like seven new followers. It's like, ah, fuck. All right. <laughs> Let's go back to the drawing board. But yeah, it's been weird, man. Man, that is a wild, that's a pretty wild story. And like, I think, I think you're kind of being humble on the fact that you're, you're you know, there's a, a lot planned. But I think the, one of the reasons you've grown is like, you, you just tell it like it is. Like, the winds away, I guess, has never really left you. Integrity, which is that's what I think is that comes down to is like, you know, if you think it's bullshit, you call it bullshit. If you think like doing a muscle up is bullshit, you call it bullshit. If you think drinking this shake is like, you're very open and like, and you're not PC on your, on your following. Like you just say, this is how I feel, whether you like it or not, you know, and yeah, but you're still opening to listening to that other side of that argument, which I think is one of the things I like listening to your podcast and then hearing you on other podcasts too, that are, you know, you're not different when you're on a more PC podcast, you're not different. You're the same guy and you're the same guy when you come in. I don't think our relationship would have continued past like us hanging out for the first seminar had you not been like a legit guy at our book club that we have our texting <laughs> we have a texting book club that jordan and i what's going on casey reads a ton too and i think there's a lot more behind uh, what you're doing than just a plan so it's been awesome to watch you grow as a as a windsor guy like born and raised here to like get on like my favorite podcast and then hear you come on them is like fuck it's awesome it just pumps us up i think that's what windsor's about too like Everybody that you see succeed, you just get pumped for instead of jealous. I think that's one of the best things about this little area this that we live in, that you're grown up in. So growing up in Windsor, man, like I know you talk about it constantly in the podcast. And I love that because I feel like there's a, you have a, like whatever, 100K followers these days. And they actually know where we are instead of like, <laughs> yeah, we're next to Detroit. Oh, Montreal. No, yeah, no, right. oh, this way. So pretty fun. So the Airbnb life, I think that's a good segue in. Was would you say that was your worst Airbnb? Like I want to hear like give no. me something like what's the worst Airbnb you stayed at? Uh, uh, so uh, that's tough. Not that I say there's like some bad ones. Like I'm pretty good at filtering them out now. Um, there was one. So I did a series of seminars in. It was actually right after Lebanon. I was Lebanon went around the states for a bit. I was in Tampa, New York. I was home for Christmas, and then I went to. Um, uh, Chicago and I was in Australia for like a month and like this was I went from having the, like less than no money like gas station to like all of a sudden it's like I did it with uh, a Canadian bodybuilder named Ben Pakulski which that was a huge catalyst for me and like I owe a lot of where I'm at to, to Ben and he took me around and we did three cities we did Sydney Perth and Melbourne and flying back in, I was flying into LA and then I was just figuring out from there. I think I was going to like Columbus to do YouTube stuff with John Meadows or something crazy. And I was like, what the fuck? This is like, the, like I could die in mid-February and it would be the best <laughs> life ever. Like I was such a meathead or I still am a meathead. And so I got back to LA 
And I didn't know like how much money that we were gonna make. Like I, I had no concept of, of money. I'm really, really bad with it. Like I didn't really learn much about it. Like I got my checks from home hardware and I paid my fucking tuition in college and then like, you know, sell some drugs on the side. Sorry, Tony. And then like, <laughs> I, I like greased a bit of cash at the door at Treehouse on the weekend. So like if I had like, you know, a hundred bucks in my pocket, it was a good day. Maybe I go to GNC and buy like a thing of protein or something. Um, but I came back from Australia and Ben is like very well respected and like kind of world renowned. And he kind of put me on this pedestal and gave me this stage. And it was like, for me, it was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a millionaire. Like I'm the richest person in the world. <laughs> but I booked my Airbnb in LA before I left that I had no idea how much money we were going to make. I got like it's an exorbitant amount but for me at the time. It was like, holy fuck. And so I booked like a hostile Airbnb which was like, it was, a, it, was a, it was a nice place. Like the place was like well put together. It was in Venice. And it was, it had three rooms with three bunk beds in each room. And so like you're staying with nine people, what? Yeah, two, four, no, so it's what? Six people in a room by three. Hmm. You're staying with 18 people. And it was just like, okay, this is really strange. Like I, I didn't think I slept. Cause like, I don't know, like I'm like sleeping with my suitcase. Like at this point, everything I own is in this suitcase. So like my suitcase is in bed with me. Like one of you tweakers want to try something, like you're going to have to pay for it. And it was like three days in and staying, but like I got back and much to my surprise, like the seminars went really well. So I did the dumb thing that I, so, so anyone with any bit of money that never had it did, I rented a Maserati. So I would pull up, I pulled up to like this fucking hostel. So you pull up to the hostel in the hostel of Maserati. <laughs> Everyone's just like, okay, this guy's definitely a drug. It was almost like they were like spiders. Like they're definitely more afraid of me than, <laughs> than, than I am of them. And three days in, this guy comes up to me and like bloodshot eyes and we're sitting there. It's like 10 o'clock and he's like, he was a Canadian kid. And we chatted a little bit. I kind of like went and trained into the Gold Venice thing. I just wanted to drive around in my cool fucking car that I'll never see again. And... This guy like would chat for a bit and he's like, so do you have like a, like a, like a CPAP or something? I was like, what? I was like, Look, man, like I've been, I don't want to bring this up. Like, I don't know you that well. Like, I don't want to piss you off, but they've been kind of nominating me to bring this up. The last three nights, no one in that fucking room has slept. It's been nonstop snoring. And we, we literally been texting each other back and forth. Like, I'm not waking them up. I'm not waking them up. I was like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. So that was like. The, the shared spaces is not a thing I could do. That was one that kind of stands out as like, that was a pretty bad experience of like, just, uh, I don't know, I'm a pretty solitary guy when I'm not doing all this stuff. I have my routines and all that, but that was one that kind of like, okay, that was different. This is not something I, I want to get used to for sure. So my idea of when I travel, this is one of the things I say, I, I've done a lot of backpacking through South America. So people are like, why do you go? Like, aren't you scared? And I kind of go with that strategy that you did not on purpose is like, Hey, choose the next guy, motherfucker. Like, right. that's my, like, this is my idea. It's like, choose the next guy. Like, look everybody in the eye, you know, wear cut off shirt, show your tattoos and like make them choose the next person, the easier target. Right. So you're doing it not on purpose. I, I mean, the Maserati might attract a little more attention, I guess, to the- <laughs> That's the, yeah, I usually go for the, like the compact mid-sized vehicle now. I, I, I learned that one pretty quick. It's like, I'm not driving around with this thing anymore. It's insane. I got a speeding ticket that was over a thousand dollars. Up there? Yeah. Or down there? It was only because I didn't have 
like uh, a US license. They didn't really know what to do. I'm still paying it off. I can show it, I show it. Like I paid 50 bucks a month off this week. <laughs> <laughs> I've been paying it off for two years. I was like, I decided to have like, I'm gonna pay for the car and that was all the money gone. But I was like, oh fuck. And I was like, like, he's like, all right. Like I didn't have insurance. I didn't have, I didn't even have, I didn't even have a license on me or whatever. Uh, no, I must have. But yeah, uh, it was, uh, I knew, I knew quickly. I was like, I need to set like constraints on myself. So like no more. No more of that. I didn't even know that story when I texted you on the way here and said, heads up, there's a speed trap on the yeah. highway. All I'm thinking is that, like we talked about earlier, like, fuck, this guy might probably driving a nice car. He looks like a hell's angel with his big beard and his muscles and his tattoos hanging out the window. He's going to get pulled over for sure. But no. you, I, I you made it. I'm a pro, man. Mazda CX-5, <laughs> good move. like I'm going to soccer practice. Good move. You're a heat score otherwise. <laughs> yeah. good, good move. <laughs> All right, man. So pre-script. Casey, man, I know that you benefited huge from this uh, course, yeah. and so did I. It's kind of changed us. So, yeah, go ahead. Definitely, yeah. That. The big thing with that, so you came in and did it. When did we do it last spring, maybe? Yeah. Is that when you were here April, for that? Maybe. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and the big thing that kind of shifted how we looked at new clients in the gym, which was great, was kind of more emphasis on your title of prescript, but like looking at who you're training now and doing a proper assessment of people. Like I found we got too many times you'd have 10 people in a room and all 10 are gonna do the same thing, where this allowed us to have an introductory course and then if you have shoulder injuries, we can find out why, what your past is, and then we can actually alter different things for you. So how did you shift from now, like your um, chiropractor, from being all over the place and then kind of creating almost your own system now to to share with people? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, man. I, I, I don't know if I have like, I don't know if I have an answer. Definitely having kind of three technical and professional backgrounds, like the powerlifting as an athlete, like the clinical side as a chiropractor, and then like the gym floor as like a strength and conditioning coach. Because I just trying to see like what what's wrong with each one of them. Like you know, clinical is none of it. Like the clinical side, everyone try, tries to be an academic. And so like all my clinician friends and all the people on Instagram, it's like they don't want to help you. They just want to help you know that they're smarter than you. Right, so it's like clinicians have kind of their downfall and then practical side might miss some of the clinical the clinical theory. And then like you said with the scalability, like that's gonna be the biggest thing as a strength and conditioning coach. Like I have the best I could have read the best program in the world, but if I have, you know, twenty athletes on a gym floor, it's like how can I make these decisions really quickly? Um, so yeah, it just kind of started like sort of out of necessity like I had individual people reaching out and kind of picking my brain like I never really thought about how I thought mm. if that makes sense like I never really had to keep an eye on like how I operated because I just I just brought a final product to uh, to a client or to an athlete mm. and then I started to get challenged of like like why like what's the like what is the thought process or what is like that system's way of thinking and then I just started like talking like okay well I started to pay attention to myself like what do I do like how do I arrive at this and you know, it's like anything like with you, it's when you're making decisions on like when you're on the unit, it's like you've just seen so much shit before you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so with me, it's like someone walked me like, oh, your knee. It's like, okay, let's, let's do this with the hip and the T-spine. Well, how did you know? It's like, okay, well, how, how did I know? Like, what, what are my exclusion yeah. criteria? What am I opting in? What am I opting out? Um, so then I just really came down to like codifying a thought process. It's like, it was like about creating like a heuristic about like the way I thought rather than an mm -hmm. algorithm. Cause like, I don't like the idea of like, you know, we start everyone from a, and we move them. It's like, what if you're picking up in the middle? Right. So mm -hmm. like a big part of what I did was like, okay, this is a to Z. 
but here's how we flip through the phone book, right? Here's how we index and scale. It's like if I'm trying to find him in the phone book, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start with A. Just in the same way, if you were to come in with like a, a knee injury, I'm not gonna do the same thing for him as I'm gonna do for someone that's, you know, 60 years old post-op knee reconstruction, right? Because I I gonna flip closer. Maybe if I flip halfway through the phone book and I get to uh, M, I'm still closer to T than I otherwise would be, right? So right. that kind of that's sort of how it, I had to reverse engineer how I was thinking. Cause like, I always like, as like just growing up with like loving, like loving to train and trying to get stronger and bigger as a kid. And I was always like into a bit of the research, into a bit of the bro science. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I had some like pretty hard and fast, like thought processes and the way things work. Um, and so I had to kind of factor all those things and put it all on the table and be like, all right, like how is it that I arrive at these answers and how can I, how can I teach someone how to think critically in a way so they can index this, like, so they don't start with A. And that's a big problem that I saw with the education space, both like at the professional level and in like the, um, maybe like the professional development, extracurricular education that was out there was like, you were a, you were a this guy, like you were in, in Cairo, it was like, you were an ART guy, or you're a, you're a Graston guy, or you're a Poliquin guy, or you're a Czech guy. It's like, why can't you just be a guy that knows like biomechanics and anatomy and then just deal about like deal with all your clients with that. So mm -hmm. it was, um, yeah, it was kind of just, just starting like traveling and getting to see where the holes were and like, how can I create something that starts to fill these holes in a way that's like meaningful and remarkable. I think from like a strength and conditioning standpoint for us and our team, it was like the, uh, one thing that you helped us understand is like, you talked about the A to Z and I feel like here our job and most of us as strength and conditioning coaches to like moms and dads and like, you know, general pop is like really like my job is A to D and realizing that maybe I'm not qualified to bring them to Z. And uh, I think one of the things we've done here, we've, we've added in this assessment component, but now we're also saying people like, you're not ready to train with us and honestly don't have the education to get you where you need. And we, you know, we are able to outsource to some different resources that are more educated that can really help people to get. So we've like, you know, we're able to cut people off that would probably have fallen off here or gotten hurt. And we send them, we get them some help with like our, our rehab people that we were, we were in partnership with. And then they send them back and these people come here like ready to go. Mm -hmm. And like, it's made a huge difference for us in terms of that assessment. And then building that bond where it's like, hey, we're not just gonna take your money and try to force you into this position that, you know, I'm not able to get you into. And it's that's really helped for us. And I think you really helped to, you really helped to speed that process up. We do it within two assessments basically. And then we're able to work with you more and give you like some real direct feedback on the problems. And I, I know for us, we, we implement your stuff yeah. into our everyday training, which has been huge for us. But, so I think what you're doing has been very helpful. Building in those relationships too, like that's one thing, like I never, when I started training, it was more like the strength side of everything. And then it look back at it. So like sports background, for example, it all clicked one day. It's like for a football team, quarterbacks need to train different than running backs different than linebackers, different than linemen. So why are we doing the general public as one big entity when it's like, well, no, you have a different job, a different background. The goal is still kind of the same to keep everyone healthy, but why are we doing the same exact thing where we should be altering little things for the individual? So that's where it all clicked in, especially with your um, prescript, prescript program. And then with these connections Tony's talking about with our physio, it's like, 
when I go to physio now for my shoulder injuries, it opens up three more exercises that I can help with the next person who comes in with a shoulder injury. So I think it just kind of, it was something that we probably already always knew, but never knew to put it together and expand more than just like, you're not just training someone to get strong. You can actually open all these doors with an, a proper assessment, basically. Yeah, I think like clinicians get really like, uh, they get really scarce minded around the stuff that they learn. So they try and make you think that they're the only ones smart enough to understand it. And it's like clinical theory is like, it's all about practical application, right? So like, I know a lot of clinicians that kind of get upset because it's like, it's like I'm giving away David Blaine's secrets. It's like, look, man, this is just how a shoulder works. It's online. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's online and it's, it's scattered, but it's there if you want to look for it. And so it's like, all I did was like make it easier to find. Yeah. Right. So, but on the same side too, like, you know, clinicians, it's like I, I try to draw a jurisdiction and kind of say that, look, there's an overlapping scope of practice. If we just worry about like practical application, right? Like clinicians might be more structure based in their approach where a coach might be more function based. And it's like, if we can understand like the structure function interplay, we can start to see where we make these handoffs. Right. And that's where it kind of wins for everyone from a business model. It's like you can go to an osteo or a chiro or a physio and then guess what? They're going to kick them right back. Right. So it's about kind of like drawing borders around like the jurisdiction of your scope of practice. And but that gives you a lot of like like liberty that gives you a lot of uh, ownership and it gives you a lot of confidence in being able to present what you know, because, you know, this is this is what I know. This is my scope within this. I should know everything or as much as we can. Um, but once we start to fringe on these borders, I know that you need to go somewhere else. Right. And I think that's what a lot of coaches like lack is just like. Like a, a confidence and an uncertainty around what it is they're looking at, so they go, "Oh no, like we'll just go lighter this week." Oh fuck, like yeah. I hope they don't sue me, kind of thing. Yeah, and honestly, well, that's kind of how I felt a lot of times in here, and you, you really helped to, to bridge that. And what's those? What are the graphs where they use the circles? Like the Venn diagram. Yeah, so the Venn diagrams, right? <laughs> that's what you're talking yeah, about. I, yeah, I, yeah, I got you. <laughs> you got me. So the Venn diagram, right? I, I feel like if you consider that, like it's like we're kind of like pushing that circle a little bit bigger with us, and like. With this, with us doing our spear evaluations, which came from your prescript, we uh, were able to assess. And then we were now the more that we work, we've actually established relationships in both places with clinicians, and we're able to like. I feel like the more I'm now going in there and learning way more, and I'm mm. able to apply it, and they're learning a little bit more of what they because a lot of clinicians didn't, you know, have like they're not deadlifting, right? A lot of them, and and it's like really opened the eyes for both sides of things. And instead of my fear as the gym owner was always sending somebody to clinician, they just shut them down. And I feel like that was a lack of communication between the two industries. Or And I think we're bringing it together and guys like you are doing a good job of getting it there, man. Cause it's as simple as like a lot of people, you have an injured arm, don't use your arm for right, a while. Yeah. That was like the simplest answer I found all the time was just like, that I remember when I was training, even with sport, right? It's like, oh, you're this is bothering you? don't use it for a bit. And then here's a bit when it's like, no, you should actually still come in. We'll alter it. So you're switching up the muscle group, but on your accessory movements now start putting in these little exercises to strengthen and actually target what's bothering you instead of just avoid it and expect two months from now, it's going to be all better. Right. So what do you think it was, man, with the, like the powerlifting scene and win like, I feel like it's pretty sweet that like Windsor had, you know, you that's getting out there, you got your name big. Fuad is having, has a huge name. He's not really powerlifting, I guess, per se, but like, let's say, nah, strength and fitness, muscle, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And then Kelly Brand, of course, like, I think it's pretty sweet that we have this, like, little, like, kind of thing that, and like, 
you know, a couple guys in the NFL, like like some NHL players. This is a small city. What do you think it is about Windsor that's allowing us to just like kind of get out there? Yeah, I mean, I think you get a really good idea of what hard work is when you're a kid. Like, like I said, like my dad would come home and he'd just have enough energy to put lethal weapon two onto the fucking like, onto the VCR <laughs> before he passed out from working fourteen hour days. Like, um, so like when you go anywhere else, like, and I've been pretty much everywhere else, and you talk to people, like I live in California. People are like, oh, like, it's so hard. It's like, really? This is hard? Like, no, Windsor in 08 was hard. Like, with like, <laughs> half, with, like half of like Ford, GM, and Chrysler, like a, like a third of your friend's parents lost their jobs overnight. So I think it just gives you perspective. And like when you take that hard work other places, it's just people think there's something wrong with you. Like people think that like, oh, you work too much. Like I, I argue fucking like I've had, I've, I've had screaming matches with in-laws and like girlfriend's parents about like me working. Like you work too much, like you don't understand. You'll never understand. You'll, you'll never understand what working too much is if you think I work too hard. This is me working. On my schedule today, I was like, whew, I got a busy one. Big day I today. I kick it with Tom for like three hours. <laughs> and then I was working like, oh, I don't know. Like, fuck man, I know people that would work from 7.37 to 7.37 and then from 7.37 to 7.37 again. They'd pick up an extra shift at Chrysler. And it's like, you just worked for 24 hours putting doors on a Pacifica. Like, that's fucked, right? Or just do like, I don't know, my first job, I was washing dishes at Lily Kazili's. My second job, I was pulling fucking nails out of my feet in a lumber yard off Les Bronze or Home Hardware, driving forklifts through fucking doors. Like, I, when I worked with Colby next to Keith's place, my first job, or one of my first jobs was hauling, like, 20 30 kilo bags of cement in a tiny little shed and as a breaking up boxes like nothing i did anywhere else in a developed country would be like allowed for like a 16 year old kid just what you did yeah funny i, I worked in a hardware store at a lumber yard too that's some of my first job was in a lumber yard cashway out in the east oh, end yeah, you remember yeah. that oh, fuck yeah yeah, yeah. carrying yeah. cement patio stones yeah. drywall drywall and fence oh, posts man. four by four ten, like you got 16 foot fence posts you get like four or five of those on your shoulder that'll that'll toughen you up so i just think it's like i think the problem's not with i don't want to say there's a problem with windsor but like it's it's just everywhere else like you it's like swinging three bats in the batter's box when you work in windsor Right, and when you grow up in Windsor, it's like you go other places, and it's just like you're not working any harder than you are. You're just in a place where the environment's easier, right? So like, especially with the health and fitness stuff, and like the podcast and the online, it's like my days usually start up, I don't know, five o'clock. But like, I just pour, like, get a cup of coffee and sit on my laptop and like think about some stuff, and then I write some of that stuff down, and then like I'll come do stuff like this, and then I'll go train, and I might talk about some of the stuff I'm doing. So it's like. I have friends in the fitness industry like, oh man, like fuck, like work's crazy. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, it's not. It's not. You don't have to go like you have to. Don't have to go in for a twelve-hour shift at a hospital. You don't. Yeah, you don't have parts coming by your face every thirty-eight seconds, right. and you've got to put screws in. I mean, I mean, think that's that's a lie. I think that's why the garage gym's kind of been successful. I mean, Casey's worked. He used to, you know, be out in the bush for days on end putting out fires, and Danny and I doing our jobs and. You know, Steph working at the bank and she, you know, the the monotony she talks about that was in there. I think, Mm -hmm. like, if you really had worked and then you come in and work in a gym, now that we're not working hard, but at the end of the day, we're kind of just hanging out and lifting weights. Like, Mm -hmm. it's pretty awesome, I I think. And the online stuff, too, makes it just, you're just connecting with people. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I I honestly think that's what it is. Like, you know, I can't speak to to Luke or to Fuad or to Kelly, but, like, I know know Kelly well. I know Fuad well. Um, 
Uh, I would assume Luke's the same. I think I used to play hockey against that kid. He was like a stud across like every Probably. single sport. <laughs> um, but it's just like I'm sure they they have a skewed perception of what hard work is because they had to grow up here. You have to work hard just to be broke here. Right? Like I have a lot of my friends' parents, like you know, single parent households. Like their moms had to work fucking harder than we've ever worked just to be broke. And it's just like, oh okay, now I can work and what I deem to be not nearly as hard. And, but it's harder than most other people. Like, it seems to be mo- like harder than most other people in the industry. It's like, this is nothing. If I came back to Windsor and told me what I did for work, like, I usually find some like crunchy granola coffee shop that'll serve me an almond latte, make sure that I have air conditioning and Wi-Fi, and sit on my fucking laptop. I love what you talk about that on the podcast. Well, it's just, it's true, man. Like, I have buddies who work construction. And they're like, you know, they're doing midnight shifts. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's 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 very much. And again, I never grew up anywhere else, but like, it just gives you such a such a relative perspective of what like hard work is like some tool and die. I say tool and die some people some places and they have no idea what I'm talking about like you know tool and die like working tool and die like yeah, am what? I? Like, what, yeah like, what are you talking about and I was like oh then if you don't know what tool and die is you don't know what hard work is carrying fucking burning sheet metal like cutting your fucking toes off and shit like yeah no it's I think Windsor just it, it it's it's small enough like to be safe and comfortable, but it's exposed enough to like give you kind of the full spectrum of like what's out there, like from your side of things and like exposed. Like I, I would go to parts of California, like East End of Palo Alto is like not really like the safest place in the world, but by California, Northern California standards, it's like fucking Fallujah. But like, <laughs> for, like oh, don't stop in the gas station. Like I've been in a car with you, like, oh, don't, don't stop in the gas station, East Palo Alto. I'm like, we'll be fine. <laughs> I'll take care of it. It's it's okay. Like why well, it's it's fine. Trust me. Like you know, proximity to Detroit or even some parts of Windsor and Essex County, it's like you kind of get prepared for a lot of shit. For sure, you do. For sure, you do. I think a lot of people with this podcast, a lot has been about, about taking action on weaknesses and stuff. And like you shared with me a lot of stuff about this, and I, we want to get into it a little bit. So dive in a little bit deeper, some things. So uh, you mentioned that you have had, you know, some friends have lost their family members to suicide and things. And I know uh, PTSD, anxiety stuff was is something I, you and I both have shared in common, me with PTSD and you with, I, I don't want to speak out of term, but anxiety. Yeah, you yeah. you told me this crazy story, man, about when you're at Stanford. Yeah. Are you willing to share that? Yeah, yeah, no, dude. Because I, I think uh, people can really, because I think people look at your success or with my smiles or with Casey and think that like, just because you have success or you're doing some cool things and doing what you want, that you don't have stress and that you haven't lived through that. So like, um, what brought you there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I graduated like, quarter million dollars of debt like so, so what I I remember uh, the where I was when I got accepted into grad school like I was driving home from Devonshire Mall good light uh, and my dad texted me and said because I needed a loan to, to pay for school to, to apply or to get in and my dad's like hey we went to the bank and we got your loan I was like fuck it's crazy and I got accepted like everything was good to go and he's like, yeah, but we had to put your house up on, or our house up on, as collateral, so don't fuck it up. Oh. I was like, oh, <laughs> there's the pressure. That's the wins away right there. Don't fuck it up. Hey, this is great. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, it was the good news, bad news. I was yeah. like, what do you want first? I'm like, good news. The good news, we got your loan. Bad news is, mother and I put your house up as, uh, our house up as collateral, so don't fuck it up. And it's like, I was 25, and like, relationship was kind of going south, was like, or no, I was old enough, I was 26, 27. And it was like, you know, money was a huge issue. Like you know, Silicon Valley, like people talk about Toronto real estate and I just laugh. Well, you guys are adorable. Like you think this is expensive? We're paying Canadian pesos here. Like what the fuck? Like <laughs> I, I spent almost three grand a month for a hole in the wall, 45 minutes. And that's US dollars. Um, and yeah, one morning I was like, it was actually my birthday. 
I think it was my 27th birthday, I like woke up and I was just, I was like looking at emails and there's something with like credit cards, something. And I just saw a bunch of red numbers on a statement somewhere. I was like, and I just like had a full blown anxiety attack. Like thought I was dead. Like, you know, I've been lifting weights and you know, doing dumb stuff for like, at that point, like seven or eight years. And I was like, oh fuck, like my heart's just had enough. I was like, I literally thought, like I was staring at my plate of eggs and I couldn't see. And by the time I could see again, my plate was covered in sweat. And like all the eggs had like a half inch of sweat on it. And I couldn't breathe. I, I hadn't breathed for like two or three minutes. And I kind of snapped out of it. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And I thought it was like, heavy on the caffeine or the pre-workout or you know being a little bit heavier or training powerlifting or whatever and then i went in talked to one of my clients i was working as a, a personal trainer at stanford at the time and one of my clients was a, a clinical psychologist and sorry psychiatrist and i was like and catherine like can you explain this to me like you're like a doctor you're you're psych but you're a doctor and like i just play one on the internet at this point like i was a chiropractor i don't know much about this kind of shit and i kind of like explained it to her and She's like, oh, okay, like maybe it could have been like this, that, or the other. My next client was a cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, and so I told him about it. And he's like, let's go. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, we're not, we're not training. We're going we're gonna to take you into the ICU. So he took me to the ICU and had like, because he kind of looked at me and goes, okay, like maybe it is a heart issue, right? Like maybe what he was experiencing was some sort of like just being the size he is or whatever. And so in the middle of the afternoon, I was meant to train this dude. And he walks me across to the Stanford ICU and I had an echocardiogram done on like an intern's bunk bed because I didn't have insurance, man. Like you know, my health, my healthcare plan was a one-way Delta flight to Detroit Metro. <laughs> if I ever got hurt, I would just fly home. Like, I couldn't fucking afford it. Um, so he like walks me in past the front desk, like no, no, he's with me, it's fine. And I go up onto like onto the trauma ward, like walking through the Stanford trauma ward, like you know, a tertiary medical center. People's like, faces are not their faces anymore, and like all this shit. And he like pulls me into an intern workroom, grabs like this e or echocardiogram machine off of the floor, and like grabs two fellows off the floor. He's like, hey, I'm gonna do an echo on this kid. And he like, I'm like looking at like my own heart, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. And then he's like, okay, we're gonna do an EKG. Brings me upstairs, and on the conference room outside of the president of Stanford University's office, he just like, I hey, take your shirt off, and I'm laying on this like massive this Bruce Wayne style epic conference table. And then the president of the university, like the president of the university hospital walks in and goes, Paul, everything okay? And I'm just fucking laying there with like 16 leads all over me. Oh yeah, no, everything's fine. And the guy just kind of sat there and did an EKG and he printed it off and was like, you know, you're fine, man. Like I think you had an anxiety attack. We gotta figure your shit out. And then like the whole, like all of that year was just like me figuring my shit out. Cause up to that point it was just like, I mean, I liked going to chiropractic college. I liked what I was doing, but it was just like, I just liked the optics of it. Like, yeah, I was 25 and I had like a cool title in my name. I lived in a cool place and I had the dog and the wife and like, I thought that was how you did life. And I was just like, I've, not that I hated it. And like, I, I, like there's no resentment or anything, but it was about what I wanted. Like I'd just go see patients at Apple and I'd just be like, oh, like this is, this is great. Hey, I love this. I work at Apple. Isn't that cool? And I was just like, oh, fuck, this is lame. This sucks. Um, and then I was just like, all right, I'm just not going to do that anymore. So anything I didn't want to do, I just didn't do. And I haven't been doing things I don't want to do since. And that's kind of, you know, that led to like, all right, well, I don't want to do this. So I have to live out of my car, but at least this is my choice now. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like a big catalyst for me. It was like that, it was like the birthday of like my 27th birthday. It was like, it was lights out, totally black, like that's eyes crazy. open. And then just, yeah, ever since then, it's just been like, if I feel a bit of that creeping up, I'm out. 
I'm out. I'm out. If it's not a fuck yes, it's no. I'm gone. It's a good lesson. If it's not a fuck yes, it's a no, right? Uh, so how is there like methods that you do to make sure you don't get there other than like the saying no? Like how do you deem if you're going to say yes, I guess? Right. Like yeah. what would you, would you serve some advice? Yeah, I think like, I think like keeping an eye on yourself. Like you can tell yourself shit that you believe. Like you just tell yourself the stories that make sense. So I think like staying in touch with people that will keep like serve it to you straight helps they won't let you tell a better story. Like I talk to my mom every day now because be one person doesn't let me get away with bullshit, it's my mom. So I talk like more to my sister. I talk more to my friends. Like when I was in California, like I just kind of got like, oh, I'm not, like no, I was disbanded my friends. Well, I talked to him once every three or four months, but now it was like kind of prioritizing like, all right, who knows you well? Like who knows that like, who could have saw this coming? Who could have saw that like, oh really dude? Like. You're wearing fucking corduroys? Like, do you own anything other than Jordan basketball shorts? That's really strange, right? Like, what, what's wrong with your fucking hair? Why do you look like a poindexter? Like, I never had that, right? I kind of had, like, the, there was California Jordan, and then there was, like, like, I would come back and literally be, like, within 10 minutes of being home. I would, like, take off my fucking Tommy Hilfiger shirt, and it would be, like, Carhartt and Black Tibbs. I was like, oh oh this is better this is this is me right go down to like manchester and eat a bunch of pierogies or some shit like, <laughs> you're like sucking back like kale salads in california like fuck this sucks so that was really it it was just like do things that kind of like keep you grounded and level and some of that was books right like some of the books that we talk about are like kind of giving perspective of like you know sometimes it's you know people got it way worse so a lot of the books i started reading around that time were like pretty like morose, pretty dark, like a lot of World War II, Holocaust stuff. Um, and that was kind of put everything in perspective. Cause like, I freaked myself out cause I thought I had problems, right? And like, oh shit, I don't have money. Like parents house, like what am I gonna do? And then I was like, oh, I had food today. It was tuna cans and oats and protein, but like, it was the food. So like, that was a big part of it. It was just like, I never, I spent 10 years just reading the anatomy textbook. And I was just like really good at like rattling off useless information, but like, you know, one bank balance or maybe it was a cell phone bill and it sent me over the edge. I'm in the hospital like four hours later from like not being able to cope with the shit in my life. But I could tell you, like I could tell you every valve in the heart. Like I could tell you like, you know, the, the aorta and mitral bicuspid tricuspid, all that shit. But that's not going to fucking save you when you're fucking looking down at your plate of eggs and your lights out. So I was like, all right, I gotta spend some time like figuring out what's under the hood sort of thing. And yeah, a lot of it was just reading, spending time on myself. Just, uh, like a lot of times, I think people distract themselves. Like going out, like, oh, like, hey, what are you doing tonight? It's like, try like, there's a quote, it's like, uh, all a man's problems stem from him being unable to sit in a room with his own thoughts for 30 minutes. And I would do that all the time. I would always have something on. There'd be like, if I'm by myself, it'd be like, oh, I'm gonna put a podcast, I'm gonna put on like a YouTube video or something. But like, it was just like, all right, I'm just gonna sit for, and yeah, it seems, it seems pretty like simple or stupid, but like, that's what, it, that's what it was for me. That's one of the ways you cope. You love just sitting. Like when you leave here from work, like you often just sit like in your backyard, right? That's something at you do times, time. but I also still like, even with that, like, I like to have something on though. A lot of times is just having like noise. I don't like eating with like silence and chewing. I always have the same kind of thing as keeping, there's times when I'm good with just like, shutting down and just nothing especially outside i find that's where outdoors is the best place for me to do that because then it's like you can concentrate on what's around you but when it's just inside all the time and then it's just my brain 
run in circles, that's when you can definitely see kind of where that can stem from. But that's a good thing. And what you one thing that you mentioned there was kind of introducing that like gratitude into your life, right? The whole like, yeah, I'm eating tuna and rice right now, but I'm eating something, yeah. right? And that was a big thing Mackenzie talks about is just like practicing little things. Like, yeah, you got all this shit going on, but this is good right now. And this is good right now. And this is good right now. And then your mind's just going to flip and start to now, well, I got food. And then I, I'm paying a lot of money, but I am in a place and I'm don't want to do this work, but I have a job and income coming in. And it's just like, as soon as you start flipping out, flipping that script a little bit, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Right. But so that's good that your like self-awareness is increased and you're able to talk about that. I think. Well, that's the word, right? Like self-awareness. Cause like, I wasn't for basically up until the moment where I thought I was going to die. Like I was just totally blind. And that was just what that was. This was like, here's, here's 10 years of like you not paying attention coming down the track and going to hit you square between the eyes. And that's like, when I look back, it's hundred percent what it was. It was just like, I did what I had to do, not what I needed to do. It's like, what do, what do I have to do? Like, what do I think I should be doing at this point? Like I got married at 25. Cause it was like, Oh, I did, I did the undergrad thing, I did the grad school thing, I got the career thing, I got like the place thing, I got the dog thing. It's like, what's on, what's the, what's this life checklist thing next? Yeah. Oh, what do we got here? Like, oh yeah, I can sort that out. I could probably, I'm probably gonna yes. All right, let's do that. And I was just like, no, like let's just, yeah. And the self-awareness thing is still something that I think like, you gotta keep an eye on. It's not like, oh, well I've done the self-awareness thing. It's like. I know who I am now, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, you gotta kind of keep an eye on yourself because that changes like every day. It's like you find yourself saying some shit or doing some shit or like getting mad at some stuff. Like, would I, like, would I really be getting mad at that like five years ago? Like, does this really matter? It's like, oh no, it doesn't fucking matter. You're just being a jackass. Yeah, I, I think like part of like the growing from like a warrior to a monk, you know, like that's kind of like the, the manhood, like growth is I think like most men come by it naturally. You got like the strength protector, you know, defender, but you don't, or warrior, but you don't really have the self-awareness. And I feel like once you get that, that's when you've come like full circle into like what you're supposed to be as a leader, as a father, as a husband, whatever that is to you in your life. And I think the self-awareness is the comfort to like, to know that you need other people, but you don't. Right. And you're not doing things because you don't, you have to like the picket fence and the dog and the, and the wife, it's because you want to, right? So that's what you really want because you really truly feel it. I think that's where the, the big difference between people that are able to continue to push past and the people that get wrapped into that, you know, anxiety driven life. There's people like that we all know that live how you felt, maybe not to that extreme where they're dripping sweat down, the t- but they live a couple notches below that every single day. And like, man, that is not in that you can live, you can work and you can have that belt going by you every 38 seconds. But if you're using that mission driven, like this is paying for what I love to do, then look at it that way. And I think it's perspective, a hundred percent of the books that you're reading and like the things that, you know, other people have done before you can like your father is one that you've used is like, that's absolute truth, man. It could be way harder and life could be way worse. Right. It is what it is. We can make it better. Right. Yeah. Man, that's the way to look at it. In my opinion, that's probably why you you're doing so good, such great things. What's next, man? On the on the on the docket for you? That's what I want to know. Oh yeah, so this is a good question. I mean, a lot of it's just it's just work, man. Like work. The nice thing with like I think the way we all work is like there's never two days the same, right? So everything is like probably the way you've always worked. I can't imagine two days are ever the same. So I'm just kind of making this shit up. Like I don't have business <laughs> background. Like uh, so right now we're we run two two courses online. Um, kind of exclusively and obviously with the travel stuff 
we have five in various stages of development. So by the end of um, 2021, we'll have seven courses that we're going to be offering uh, at least. Um, I started uh, another business during COVID that is trying to take up more of my attention uh, with some of the athletes that I work with uh, in the NFL. So just, yeah, just every day, just like, okay, running into walls and figuring out what those walls are and figuring out like, oh, like, what's superannuation? It's like, all right, I guess I wouldn't watch 17 YouTube videos on how to figure out how to pay my fucking taxes. Um, but yeah, so it's just really based on the education stuff and at the moment, travel's obviously on hold with everything going on. So I uh, might lay down some routes up in like the Toronto area uh, for a little bit until things open up. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't know, every day is different. I, I like to say I have this master plan, but like I'm still at the point where it's like, I'm trying to say yes to as much shit as I can. Right, and if I think a, a big part of why uh, I'm able to continue to do that, and a big part of why, like, um, you know, I've been focusing so much on the business end is because I, I've reached points where it's like, okay, I've started saying no to things, and I'm like, oh, I'm saying no because I don't have enough time because I'm not efficient enough at the time that I have, right? So it's just like a lot of what we do or what I do now is like, like you, you were alluding to this earlier, like systems, like, how can I build systems so I can say yes to more things, right? Like everyone's like, oh, there's only so many hours in a day, it's like. Yeah, but are you really like optimizing that? So you know, we have a we have a staff. So there's kind of like leveraging the technology that we have, leveraging the staff that we have, leveraging the capital that we have, so I can kind of free up some more time, um, just to kind of say yes to more things. So I'd like to be able to sit here and whatever I tell you I'm going to do is probably not going to end up being a thing that gets done. I'm going to get a text message tomorrow and I'll be on a plane somewhere like the day after that. But it's like more so just having it set up in a way where like I can keep my options open. So if, if, if something arises, I'll just do that. Like in my head, I kind of have like contingency plan after contingency plan after contingency plan after contingency plan. So it's like, if this happens, then I do this. If this happens, then I do this. Uh, but it's always like, it's always the thing that you don't plan for that usually happens. Uh, so yeah, I honestly have no idea. And that's really embarrassing to admit as someone that owns a business, but I'll just kind of take it. Hey man, the there's days like that. There's yeah. a lot of days like that in here, man. And like, I know you're working on delegating a lot of that stuff too, to give you systems so that you can do what you want because like you really uh, you don't know like it could be in 10 minutes when you get that opportunity that could change what you you know everything you're and if you're flexible and you have a good support system you'll get there so it, like if people do want to know what you're throwing against the wall right. and they want to get a hold of you for like prescript stuff or for some training or yeah. advice what how would they do that um yeah so email is jordan at the muscle doc.com uh, instagram is the underscore muscle underscore doc prescript is www.prepre-script s-c-r-i-p-t.com uh, i think we're on instagram podcast is itunes and spotify rx radio um usually general prescript info is info at pre-script.com I, I think i think that's it i don't know there's probably a youtube channel you got a lot of them case you'll yeah, get them on the show them, notes yeah, as long right. as we get them included at the bottom yeah. so if you're not listening to rx radio guys and you're into strength and conditioning i definitely i definitely like i would follow it i listen to it we listen to it all the time in here uh, almost every episode i know coach Corey definitely listens to them and it's it's awesome and the pre-script thing was great as well as jordan's uh full of knowledge on his own instagram and, and he also gives you his two cents on the world every once in a while which is awesome so uh thanks for coming on here today man and uh i can't i'm proud of you and keep up the good work thanks man appreciate it all right so this episode of the tango one podcast was sponsored by murray insurance and financial services in kingsville ontario they are southwestern ontario's number one ranked desjardins insurance agency by their clients and owned by garage gym kingsville ogs ian and kara murray 
Ian and Kara's team pride themselves on many of the high standards of the garage gym members have come to expect. They have expertise in their industry with over 100 years of combined experience. The best customer service in Ontario, um, including claims concierge services, which is exclusive to our clients. They also focus on a community employing local team members and investing back into the Essex County community on a continual basis. They are a one-stop shop for everything you need to protect your family, your and your assets with the best policies in the industry. Oh, and they have an incredible rates, especially when you combine your home auto insurance policies together with them. Uh, give them a call today. You can reach them at 519-733-2331, 519-733-2331, or you can check them out online. And also, I think Kara was just named like one of the top 20, top 20. Uh, women in business on Yahoo, which is pretty awesome too. So big shout out to her and thank you guys very much. Good job. Cheers. Cheers.